Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour Podcast, and I'm your host, Cole Sharman. Today, we are joined by Christian Toon, the CISO at Pinsent Masons. Christian has spent the last 14 years successfully disrupting traditional approaches to information protection and management for large international organizations. From a career in end-user security, he moved into Big Four Consulting to build a practice around CISO for hire that involved engagements with financial and insurance service clients. Leaving PwC after nearly three years, he joined Pinsent Masons to lead their information protection strategy across a firm of over 3,200 employees around the globe. While at Infosec Europe, Christian delivered one of the most entertaining interviews I've certainly done. So I hope you enjoy it. Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge, and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. Hi Christian, welcome to the podcast today. Hey there, you alright? So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? In a hospital. Optic, <laughs> right? Optic. I'm not giving that away. <laughs> Who are or were your parents? <laughs> Who are where are my parents? So, um, my father's a account manager, and my mother has spent time between kind of looking after me and the kids growing up, um, and uh, various roles. She now works in like uh, education, where kind of helping kids get on the right path. Important. On education, what was your education like? Uh, messy. Um, scraped into university doing a course that didn't really want to do but had the pressure to get to university because I was the eldest. Um, six months in realised that uh, mechanical engineering was a big step away from international business that what I wanted to do. Um, didn't get the grades. Uh, frustrating thing was though once I got to the university um, they'd allow me to transfer. So they wouldn't let me on the course when I wanted to get on but they'd let me on for a lesser course and then allow me to transfer. So I kind of lost 12 months there. Um, and then I had a part-time job that went really well, was enjoying the money, and we're not really learning anything from university. Um, so dropped out of university and went into industry full-time. Um, picked up kind of project management, risk management, ops management roles um, in the retail sector. Um, was doing great for that, and then realized that kind of wasn't what was destined to be. And uh, ended up taking a 12 months out, traveled the world, um, came back and got a job in information management in 2006 and uh, I've kind of never looked back. And when was the first time you come across security? Um, it was probably about three months into my role uh, with the organisation. Um, HMRC lost the uh, two discs with 25 million child records on and all of a sudden as a key supplier to central government we were mandated to have nominated security roles um, and kind of either I stepped forward or everyone else stood back and I stood still um, and I basically from there a baptism of fire with the National School of Government and kind of the uh, information assurance and security standards and just kind of went from there strength to strength. And you started off in end user security is that correct? Yeah so um, I was basically uh, protecting organisation. The organisation I worked for was responsible for their uh, 
UK, then European, then sort of some of the international uh, security. Um, part of a wider team that had some of the uh, kind of sort of more specialist areas of, say, risk, um, business continuity, physical security, um, but predominantly the kind of the infosec kind. At what point did you find security become a passion of yours? Um, I think it was kind of somewhere through my first year in information management because the information management, the organisation I worked for had some really cool documents and material in their custody, obviously on behalf of clients, right? Um, and it just started to amaze me that kind of this sort of stuff existed, but people didn't really pay much attention to it. Um, and then because I kind of had those associations with kind of the information and actually it has a historical importance as well as a material importance, I kind of felt then responsible for that. And it is, it's perhaps more the responsibility for information that I've got and okay. I kind of it's kind of shaped into security. Um, and you kind of see from my LinkedIn profile, I kind of associate very well with kind of superheroes and the Marvel comic books. And for me, I kind of like the idea of kind of I'm that protector of information. Yes. Um, and it, it's a bit weird, but it works for me. And it kind of, <laughs> I just love it. I absolutely love it. Who would you say as a superhero you're most like? I don't know. Some days it can be like the Hulk. Um, other days probably a bit more like Black Widow. It, it kind of varies. Um, I did a keynote yesterday, uh, no, yesterday, Tuesday, here at InfoSec, that was around um, how comic books helped me build a great security team. And it was more the case of not necessarily picking and relying on one particular hero, but actually being able to either emulate a number of different ones and different characteristics, um, or, or bringing different people to the table, which works really well. Now, you worked in a big four consultancy. Why did you choose to go down that path? Uh, to join the big four? Um, I wanted a challenge. I mm. kind of cut to a point uh, in my career, I was facing a lot of um, blockers and some restrictions on my advancement um, and wanted an opportunity to really kind of test my skills and improve kind of prove to myself, but kind of prove to the world that I was capable of doing it. Mm. Um, People, there's a lot of people that necessarily aren't big fans of the kind of the big four approach. I absolutely love my time there, um, and felt that was able to cut it with the, the brightest and, and best of, of our industry um, for a good number of years, and, and it was great. So for me, it was a personal challenge, I think, and time, personal timing, trying to manage my career, felt it was a good logical step. Now, when I was doing my research into into you before I before we come here today. And you still came? I still come, yeah, yeah, somehow. But there was one word that stood out that was quite common across any interview, any, you know, even your profiles, which was disruption. Something that you're clearly passionate about. Why are you so into disruption? Because I love making a noise. Um, and disruption's key because the way organisations historically approach security um, was good for a point in time, but isn't where it needs to be today. So you've got organisations that are ordained and this is how we do stuff. Um, these are the ticks and the boxes that we capture and this is how we approach security. But actually, that's not how the market needs to be. That's not the response you need for a, a pragmatic and realistic defence. So that disruption piece is just kind of bringing a new take to how people do security. I'll give you an example. So when I joined Vincent Mason's, we had a security program that was very much aligned to ISO 27001, as, as many people do. Um, but we found, certainly saw that we were doing a lot of work, a lot of effort, 
document and process kind of upkeep for the auditors. And it's like, that's, that's not how we should do things. So um, we've kind of redesigned, we've created a Pinson Masons framework of, of security controls, which has kind of elements of NIST, um, what's the SANS, but the, the Center for Information Security Controls, a bit of PCI thrown in there for good measure. Um, and we've created something that's right for us. Um, and that's allowed us to build kind of some pragmatic defences firstly, um, but then also kind of changing the approach. So we're not running down the kind of tick box exercise of do we have this, yes or no, how does that work? Um, we like to think, for, certainly for the law sector, we're, uh, we're revolutionising approaches to security. Um, we've just launched a bug bounty programme. We're investing really heavily in training and awareness. Um, we've got dedicated roles that are looking at employee engagement for security um, and focusing on these big kind of, not necessarily new areas, but perhaps that disruptive approach is, well, we don't normally do it this way, but we're having some great successes with it. One of the other disruptions that I noticed through research, and I've seen you publicly cry out for it, is information and risk sharing. Yeah. Why is this, well firstly why is this, uh, but especially within the legal sector? Okay, so um, I've come from sort of financial services and, and insurance work, I was doing with PwC, um, and a lot of the benefits um, we gained in our security programs was working together. Working together internally, but more importantly externally, and building a network of trusted uh, individuals, experts in their respective field, um, that you can kind of call on and kind of help support for times in crisis, uh, kind of questions that you kind of need answers to, or actually just helping with the kind of a wider defence. We've all got the same issue, right? Um, commercial kind of elements or kind of competitiveness aside, we're all facing the same problem. So it kind of, we're stronger together. Um, so my view is that, again, trying to build something in the legal sector that allows you to share and um, kind of develop that kind of thought process, that support network. And the thing for me, I found it really difficult coming into a new sector. Well, surely you probably have this already, but I couldn't find it. I was emailing, phoning, getting blanked, stonewalled quite a lot. Um, I guess imagine that's how kind of sort of salespeople feel sometimes. I guess, yeah. um, and with some help with uh, with Dan Raywood from uh, from Infosec, um, we, we produced an article because I was really getting frustrated. Nobody was talking about kind of doing this, um, and, and the article was the tipping point. It was fantastic because it riled a few feathers because all of a sudden people popped up and went, "Hey, well we already have this. We're doing this," and I'm like, "Well." Hi, marketing is terrible because yes. <laughs> I can't get in. Um, you've got the national programs like um, SIS and uh, the NCSC uh, initiatives or kind of the uh, Scotland First Cyber campaigns trying to do more with industry. Um, but we kind of owe it to ourselves to try and do more. But anyway, the, the long story short on that is we, we're now part of, uh, we've been able to get a seat at the table for the kind of legal sector um, kind of the security forum, um, which, which is really useful. So when we meet, we talk about the problems we've got, the challenges we face, um, or what we're seeing, um, that certain attempts at extortion or blackmail that one firm sees, another firm sees, and we're able to sort of share that insight. Now, one of the biggest, I suppose, breaches was at DLA, DLA Piper. What I saw was the legal sector coming together. Why did you think it took a breach for that to happen? Um, 
I think the legal sector would have come together. Um, they're, they're a very close community. You can see that from the, um, the kind of the employees or staff movements from firm to firm. Um, and I don't necessarily think it was the breach that brought people together, but what it did do is it highlighted the, the sector itself and actually how supportive we can be, um, offering out capability, office spaces, technology, laptops, phone lines, because your organisation's gone down, you've literally got nothing. Um, so to kind of have those kind of support network there that wasn't prompted, um, wasn't kind of asked for, um, but actually it just happened. Um, and we've been talking about this, that actually that's a really good concept to have and tied to the kind of collaborative work in security um, for other organisations, that almost why don't we have this kind of response plan that, hey, look, if any one of us kind of falls victim of something like this again, well, how can we do that? Can, can you give me some people? Can you give me some forensic support? Um, can you give me some office space and actually start to sort of build a bit of a team response? Before we move on to people, just on that point, collaboration is always going to come down to people. How do you build relationships and trust in, in your sector? Um, I think for me it's been about being, uh, being honest and candid. Um, that for too long, and this is kind of across sectors on the security spaces, people don't like airing their d dirty laundry or kind of sharing their approach um, for fear of leaking a competitive advantage or actually saying, actually, you're really quite not where you should be. Um, and I'd like to think I take a balanced approach with that and just kind of being honest with individuals that, look, what you see is what you get. This is where we are. Talking to you in confidence, hopefully you respect that. Um, and then that allows them to feel comfortable um, with me, that I'm being open and transparent and that they can be, and, yeah. and that comes with that. Um, and I won't lie, socials help, nothing helps, a, kind of a few martinis, maybe a beer or two along the way, yeah. um, and it just kind of breaks down those barriers, it really kind of brings people together. Now there's research released in 2013 that claimed legal firms were a, were a weak link of um, supply chain processes because of their security. Five years on, do you believe that's now better? Um, I wasn't in the industry um, back in sort of 2013, but I know it's a, uh, a moniker that's stuck and a lot of people find themselves kind of getting tarnished with it. Well, yeah, this report said this, therefore you must all be bad and really be awful. There's some really great work that goes on across the sector. Aren't we perfect? No. Tell me a sector that is that gets it right. We're very acutely aware of the, the increasing demands on us as law firms with access to sensitive information, high cash reserves, and it's important that they're protected. The um, thing I think is really driving change is the client expectation. So I, I know we're seeing it, I know a number of other um, larger firms and smaller firms are seeing the same thing, that basically, look, you need to jump through these hoops, you need to have these things in place, otherwise you don't make the cut. It's not just a, have you got 27,001 advance to the, kind of the next stage, but actually, no, this is very detailed kind of expectation and requirement setting, um, security monitoring, logging, background checks, vetting, um, all the kind of good practices you'd probably, probably higher practices you'd associate with financial services space, because that's, I think, what's driving it. We're seeing, in the industry seeing a lot of pain coming out of, of banking, because they're trying to enforce those high standards. Um, they need to be more flexible. I mean, we, we have a great challenge at the moment with a, uh, with a client that kind of wants us to have DDoS protection. I'm like, well, we don't transact online. It's just a website for some information. We've got SLAs and it will come back up. Um, but they're kind of trying to hold us to banking standards. They need to understand our industry as we try and understand theirs. Yeah. 
where do you see the main issues within people currently in the industry? Um, I think probably one of the, the first issues is, is us as security practitioners um, that we kind of seem to treat the, the user base, the employees, the kind of individuals in our organisations as kind of stupid. Um, and that's kind of not, not a way to go. Or we kind of, we try and talk security to them as if we're talking to a, another security professional. And really kind of have to recognise that, look, we might find this cool, it's great, I get it. But when you're talking to somebody who's not in the field, not in the specialism, um, and perhaps might be a property lawyer that are just involved in um, buying and selling kind of physical space, actually they don't really touch cyber or touch tech. Uh, so you've got to kind of put it in those terms. So I think it's that communication issue because we don't, individuals or, or organisations really find it hard to talk about security. So like why, what's in it for me? Um, no, you just need to comply, 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 and it just it just doesn't work. Do you see skills gap as an issue? What skills gap? So there's a real point of contention here, because and I, I know a number of others share this view, um, that we've just gone from one security individual, uh, not including myself, um, to 17 in the last nine months. I have had an issue with recruiting the right people. Um, I believe there's more an attitude gap. So people need to um, adjust their way for recruitment. Um, I said the keynote I delivered was around kind of comic books and kind of using comic books to help recruit a, uh, a better and building a better team. Um, being flexible in the approach, nine to five doesn't work, but people still issue contracts to say, you're expected to be at this office, nine till five, and that's what you're gonna do. But do you know what, if I give you a keyboard, you can be at home, um, and work. if you do your best work at 10 to midnight, then why, why, why don't you do that? Mm. Um, the demands of kind of the, uh, the modern workplace or the modern working age need to be more flexible. Um, and that's not just in working patterns, that's in things as simple as might be um, uniform kind of dress code. Um, I kind of made the transition from Big Four um, to the legal space because I dress like an accountant and it's easy to look like a solicitor. The suits, the ties, it all works. But actually having good security people perhaps don't want to spend their time in a suit or don't want to feel that they've kind of got to come to the office in, in brogues or kind of sort of smart dress. Um, and it's important that we recognise that and, and we give those kind of flexible options. Um, another thing I think has really helped is recognising that people want careers. This isn't just a kind of fly-by-night industry. Um, yes, there's a lot of movement, but I think the movement is because people get annoyed and kind of bored and kind of almost uh, just stuck where they are. And I think we've, we've seen real interest in, in this, that we've offered an options for development pathways and careers, courses, training and development over and above the usual kind of internal soft skills and everything else. So um, SANS programs proving very popular. Um, as are another of, uh, number of other qualifications. Um, but we've also seen um, some of the contractors we originally engaged in when we first set out this just before Christmas um, to get the ball rolling. Um, they've chosen to leave the contracting world behind and join us full-time um, on the basis that they, they're really bought into what we're building. So our purpose has been kind of clear and, and it's something they've got to be able to get behind. Um, but also given them an opportunity to kind of further advance themselves with training packages and sort of further support, which is great. And I think that's a great kind of, um, I guess, evidence that what we're doing here is the right thing, where people are choosing to join us is phenomenal. We've taken people in on flexible working patterns, part-time, 
individuals returning to work, um, returning or trying to break into the industry. Um, we've, I guess, been a bit risque, been a bit more uh, kind of different. We've taken chances on individuals um, where probably others don't. But actually, look, that's for us to then build and develop those individuals. When you're trying to attract talent, are you actively saying all this stuff to them yeah. like before they come? Yeah, yeah, no, I've been quite vocal about the fact that, look, um, I need some great kind of security and incident response teams, but I don't need you to look like me. I mean, if you look across your security team and all you see is kind of varying degrees of yourself, then it's probably doing a job, but it's not the best job you can do. Um, yeah, so I'd like to think that we've been very diverse and inclusive in our recruitment process. Um, and we've been very aware, and I've certainly been very aware of the biases that can sometimes get applied. Um, but I think that's kind of that's only one part of it to actually reinforce that by, by doing and kind of look. We're not just saying it through the recruitment process. We're, we're delivering on those promises. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it'd be very public about kind of this is how we're doing stuff. And as a leader, how do you keep the group together? Because they're going to have different motives, different reasons for why they're there. So how do you keep totally. them together? I mean, and that's probably one of my biggest challenges, I guess, as a CISO with a, a brand new function and a brand new team. Um, my kind of uh, eldest member of sort of the, the team in terms of um, tenure is um, uh, where are we? probably about 10 years. The next one starts in six months. And then I've got six, five, four, three, two, one, pretty much. Um, so I've got literally a very a brand new team, uh, and it, it's a challenge because I've got to ensure that they gel, that they're open and honest. And I kind of my most overused phrase at work at the moment is the infosec. It's the team sport. Um, so we've got our tech security teams helping out our GRC or our training teams, supply chain teams helping out the tech teams. Um, we're trying to do as much social stuff as we can, bringing people together, coordinated activities. Um, wasn't a fan of the karaoke one we did just before Christmas, but we did some escape rooms last time. Um, we're heading to Leeds end of August to uh, go do some salsa classes, and we're just bringing people together. Um, mixture of kind of good food, good company. Um, it is uh, really going to help. What are you looking for in a person that might be different to what other people are looking for? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't think it's one particular attribute. Um, I think across the board there are probably more behaviours that I would look for as opposed to skills in a particular thing. For me, I'd rather have the right behaviours, the passion, the motivation, um, the timekeeping, the diligence and these sort of things that kind of, you know what, it doesn't matter where you've come from. If you're motivated um, and interested and you bring energy to the table, I'll give you whatever else you need. One of the things that's worked quite well in the um, early days of our, our program of improvement was that we were blending um, delivery kind of type contracting roles, project managers, business analysts, with kind of subject matter expertise, so the kind of traditional security contractors. Um, and it really demonstrated the fact that where you've got that motivation, that drive and passion to deliver and the soft skills, um, we've been able to kind of turn a few heads and kind of bring people into the industry that perhaps they've not had that exposure before. Mm. Um, and you know what, behaviours trump skills in my view. So just on that, how do we get more people into this industry? 
as the million dollar question, right? Yeah. I guess if I knew the answer, then it would be, oh, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be on a private island somewhere, kind of <laughs> sitting back on my riches because I would have patented it and sold it the world over. Uh, it, it, it's a tough one, right? So I had a conversation yesterday that at the sort of society level that kind of schools and education need to do more to bring people through into STEM subjects, um, both on kind of volume, but also in diversity and kind of addressing the balance of uh, sort of the, the gender gaps that we've got, um, all the way through to employers being a bit more risque, giving opportunities. The NCSC have got a great um, sort of apprentice framework. Um, we should be doing more of that. I don't know many organisations that capitalise on apprentice programmes. Um, why not? Commercially, it's advantageous. It's not going to break the bank, but you're giving the opportunity to... Uh, to do something great for somebody else. I mean, I always kind of say that I don't really regret anything in my life. But my single biggest worry kind of thing, if I could go back and change, would be to get into InfoSec sooner. Because okay. this sort of career advice, the industry didn't exist. Um, I know I only look 28, but yeah, <laughs> the career advice and guidance we got just didn't exist. It was kind of heavy computer science, and, and that was it. Um, and I love, there's a um, well-renowned CISO called uh, Tom Langford, who publicist group. And I sort of shamelessly steal this all the time, but it's kind of his, his and I are thinking are very much aligned. And his kind of comment was from a uh, quote from Jack Lemon, which is about kind of no matter how successful you are, you should always send the elevator back down. Obviously, kind of referring to kind of acting, but the same applies to security, right? Just because we've made it to the dizzy heights of CISO and beyond, or managers and everything else, we should still be giving opportunities. Um, and that kind of comes from a personal level, I think, as much as anything else organizations, employers need to give you that framework to do that, but we should be trying to give more back. What do you think about taking people from other sectors or industries into, into security? Um, why wouldn't you? Does it matter really what sector they come from? Again, coming back to the behaviors. Um, if somebody has got the right attitude and approach and has maybe has the security experience, but um, they, we need somebody in the legal sector as an example in my team, um, hypothetically, um, and you know what, that we've got a great candidate, but they've been in agriculture or they've been in pharmaceuticals or logistics or something. It's like, you know, it's, that's, another, that's another strength um, bringing in because it, we're, we're creating clones and kind of just building people up from within and kind of not going to really achieve anything. So those fresh perspectives are going to be hugely valued. So why wouldn't you? How do you assess... Obviously, working for a staffing firm, we see this quite often. A gap in some uh, in someone's CV. Sorry, how do you assess that? As you know, you're you're going through different CVs, and there's a gap of a year. Would you still want to look at that person if they've got the skill set previous to that? Yeah, well, why not? I'd be like, well, what the hell were you doing for that 12 months? Of course. Yeah, and some of the cases, um, I mean, like me, I've got a gap in my CV. I took a year out and went travelling. I can explain every finite detail of what we did, where we went, um, and I'm sure there'll be others. Um, some will be kind of personal circumstances, they might change, and everyone's different. Um, but I wouldn't say a gap... Um, would put me off looking if kind of that, that individual the potential to be the right individual for the role um, it kind of all depends on the reasons behind it I guess moving on from attracting talent how are you retaining talent good question well some of them have only been there a month so it's quite easy <laughs> um, uh, 
for me, I'd like to think that our culture within the security team and as a business um, will go a long way to retain um, the individuals. My view is that we want to kind of train them well enough that they can do their job um, and treat them well enough that they'll stay. Um, law, law firms, in my opinion, have a high tenured kind of rate. There's a, there's a lot of individuals that do enjoy working in the sector and, and spend a lot of time there. But I know also on the security side of the house, it can be quite transient. Um, and I think if I can, aiming for three years of those individuals, and I have a three-year plan uh, for myself, but I kind of threw that out the window when I joined because I absolutely love it. So, but I normally say I kind of spend a year doing the job, or learn, sorry, a year learning the job, a year doing the job, and then a year deciding if you're going to stay or not. And I, I think that's a fair assessment based on the way technology is changing, the market's evolving, that a three-year stint in security would, would be a good stint. My view is that we can hopefully develop and continue to grow those individuals. Um, but you know what? We might not be able to have that next role for that individual who's right to make that next step. Um, but my view is that if they're then ready, uh, ready to do so, and they can get that opportunity elsewhere, of course we'll miss them. It'll be a real loss to the team. But actually it will be a real credit to the team as well because we, I'd like to think that we've got that person to, to the position that they can then succeed and go on. What specifics as a leader are you doing to... I suppose in a way keep your employee employees happy sorry I don't know are they happy I'd like to think they are um, I think because we're we've got a purpose um, in our security team we're, we're moving to a more purpose-led business um, and, and for us in security having a purpose is it's bringing people together it's uniting us all for kind of that common goal um, and, and for me I think People are buying into that. Our team are buying into that purpose to why we're here. We're making a difference. And if I'm come to work for me, a team of as security practitioners, they want to do something. We're giving them the support to go and do it. it it's not a hard conversation. To, oh no, it's probably not right for us. Let's let's give it a go. So I'd like to think the team are energised. That they've got that support from me, and I've got the support from the board, my COO that we're doing right for Pinson and we're doing right for our clients. So it's a very uh, supportive um, atmosphere and I've never had anything like it. Um, I went to the board in, in October with the business case to say, look, you brought me in to kind of to, to improve our current position. Um, I'd like to do this. And they went, yeah. I went, no, 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 you, come on. This <laughs> yes, but, or like you can have half and see what you get up with, you know, it's just yes. And for me, hugely refreshing and empowering as a security practitioner, as a leader, whatever you want to call it, to then say, well, look, we've not asked for the earth, but actually this is just kind of good security for good security's sake. And we didn't name drop the master's four letters in the English language at all. Um, it was on security merit, which was fantastic. So for me, I feel really empowered and driven to build something that is going to protect the firm, protect the clients, um, and we're going to have some cool. Uh, we're going to do some cool stuff along the way. <coughs> now, for anyone who is going to build a team as quickly as you have done, what are the things that you've had to think about and do to make sure that you built the team you wanted to have? Uh, I, I think. One of the considerations that we've been will continue to kind of toil with, I guess, is integration to, to the business because we're not a silo. Security isn't a standalone function that just ends up doing a thing in a corner. We need to integrate with the business, but the business has got their day job, 
their own priorities and other stuff going on. Um, and that, that's been probably a big focus point because we've got a job to do. We've got quite an aggressive timescale to do it. Um, and, and things need to happen, but we also need to be mindful. It's one of the things you learn because you go kind of through the corporate security world is that kind of security, yeah, it's important, but it's not the be all and all, uh, everything. There's kind of, there's a lot of other priorities going on around any organization. And it's about being able to articulate the risk and prioritize those. Um, and that integration's really key to that. So we know what's going on in IT, um, in the compliance teams, in, in the risk teams, uh, just across the organization. So we know where we can play and we can fit in our processes. Um, the other thing I would say is probably going to be, um, I guess as a consideration for, for doing this, is that there's a lot, lot to be done. So one of the kind of risks we have, I guess, is kind of change fatigue that we need to be mindful that we don't kind of try and change the world and actually kind of do more damage by just overloading everybody with all these new new things, these new processes, these, these new tech, etc. So that's probably the other thing we'd be mindful of, is that we don't try and achieve or try and do too much. What is your biggest tip to recruiting talent? I think the biggest tip is probably going to be take the current recruitment practices of your organization, <laughs> throw them out the window um, because they don't work. They don't work for security. You might find a candidate, you might get lucky, but my, my experience has been it's a people business, right? So we need to be flexible, we need to be diverse, we need to be different. Um, and it, it's hard because you're effectively then going against the main culture of the organization to say, well, actually, you're giving this individual a flexi time working arrangement, but you've not given them a flex working time contract. And I'm like, well, surely as a line manager, there's a, a bit of interpretation over kind of flexible working that it doesn't need to be documented to the end of the degree. Um, but we, well, we don't do that here. Again, hypothetically, it's been quite um, challenging in some cases where well, we're trying to just change the, the business culture to say, well, look, to get the best people, I need this guy or girl to wear trainers. People like wearing trainers. Oh, yeah, but no, 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 it's just smart shoes. I'm like, but that doesn't work. So I think for me, it's kind of looking at being different in that recruitment approach that what would you want coming into the role? Um, and go out and talk, come to the conferences, talk to the people and say, look, what would you what would you move for? And that's not to say, hey, I'd move for a 50K uplift. Money's right, money's good, and kind of, that's almost a given. It's an industry that pays well. What you need to look at is how you can differentiate yourself. And I'm only telling you this because I've already got my team, but I will probably need my team and grow that in the future. But more people start focusing on kind of what matters, the extra stuff. Um, I quite like the example that um, the MSSPs use with their security analysts. So security analysts running through SIM tools, hunting for threats across organizations, um, can be quite tedious and can be quite kind of intensive. So imagine doing that five days a week, very quickly burn out, and burnout's a real risk for these organizations. So what they do is they try and break it up, so they give you that five day week, but actually only get you to do your SOC analyst stuff for four days out of that five. And then they give you that fifth day back to go and do some R&D, or just kind of go and do something that you think would benefit the firm. And it allows that kind of creative space then because they're still on your time. What they create, I guess, ultimately might end up in a kind of new IP for the business, but actually then he's managing that individual. Mm. And there's things like that. We just need to take a different approach. 
to sum up, how do you see this talent requirement and need evolving over the next, you know, let's say, three to five years? Um, I think we're going to see more, uh, more flexibility, more packages that are different. Um, the baseline of sort of financial compensation will be pretty static. I think it's probably going to go stay the same or kind of increase. I don't see it kind of receding. But I see organisations looking to wanting to attract the best talent um, are the ones that kind of lead by example that offer those flexible working patterns, those conditions, that development, um, that environment in which the, the individuals can flourish. Okay, now what I didn't tell you was we finished with the same 10 quick fire questions at the end of every podcast. Right. You ready? Let's go. What turns you on professionally? Caught you off guard there. Yeah, you did. <laughs> There's so many things. So, so many things. Um, I'll come back to that one. <laughs> it doesn't help for the next question. All right, okay. What okay, turns okay. you off professionally? <laughs> That's okay. What, what turns me um, on professionally is cool, the cool tech, the cool shit. So um, B-Sides is a great example. Their entire schedule of stuff and talks, yeah. phenomenal. I'm not, I don't consider myself a techie. I can just use some Python scripts, etc. But actually, it just amazes me. I think it's phenomenal. Um, what turns me off professionally? Um, hard selling from vendors, I guess. I absolutely hate that. And that's not just kind of the, the kind of vendors selling the firewalls and the widgets and everything else, but uh, kind of everyone that's kind of trying to commercialise in this industry. Um, that I just, I hate being sold out. I really do. I'd much, people buy from people and it's, it's throughout relationships. Uh, yeah, that's a real pain, pain in the ass for me. <laughs> I can imagine. How do you unwind? Um, with my family. Um, when I'm kind of not seesawing and doing the security gig, um, I spend a lot of time, I'd like to spend more time with, but with my family at home. Um, movies, computer stuff, gaming, kind of, yeah, nothing too rock and roll, but yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to try? I'd like to fly a plane. Um, I think when I was about 15 or 16, it was kind of one of those, uh, oh yeah, you know, I could be a pilot. Yeah, that turned out well. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't mind having a go at that. What activity gives you the most energy? Um, I'd say cycling. Um, try and do a bit of uh, cycling through the weeks, uh, cycling to the office or out on the weekends. Um, I don't do anything professionally with groups or anything else. It's just kind of solo and just allows me to kind of clear my head. Um, it's almost like a meditative process for me. So that's probably something that gives me nice energy. It just allows me to grab some time and kind of refocus on what's important, what's around the corner, or potentially the, the what-ifs that we might have to deal with. Of course. Who is your biggest inspiration? Uh, I don't know. Professionally, um, there's a lot of CISOs that exist, and I'm not going to name them all, that <laughs> I really admire and look up to, and I think they're doing a great job. Um, biggest inspiration yeah it's probably awful I don't think I have one um, my wife yeah she allows me to do what I do and without her I couldn't and she helps take care of the kids the family when I'm not there um, and allows me to kind of come and do the security side of things but um, yeah I'd say she's my biggest inspiration because what we do or what I do I'd like ultimately helps with us as a family to enjoy our lives together. So.
Perfect. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? <laughs> Disruption. <laughs> Knew it was coming. <laughs> you're at your best when you're doing what? Um, when I'm being me. I just, I'd like to think I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm kind of very open and honest. What you see is what you get. And I'd like to think that's the best bit because I've not got time for bullshit. Um, can you swear on these things? Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, well, I've yeah, done fine. it, so <laughs> either bleep it in the cutting room. Um, but yeah, I just, there's so much kind of nonsense, uh, FUD, the fear, uncertainty, doubt, and conjecture. I just, you know what? It's just not, not where it needs to be. I agree with you with that one. If today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you like to impart? Um, man alive. Uh, <laughs> qualifications don't really matter. Um, experience and behaviour um, will get you through. I'm kind of reflecting on my own career, a little bit nervous that kind of dropping out of university, but actually probably one of the best things I did. I'm actually now nearly two-thirds of the way through a master's in cyber, which I will be finishing, but you know what? It's kind of qualifications aren't the be-all and end-all. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? Man, where did you get these questions? I, I created them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was going to be easy. Um, go on, say that again. What's <laughs> If heaven exists, yeah, yeah, yeah. what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? Uh, I'd like to think I made a difference in, in, in the security world, in the organisations I've worked for. The best thing I can hope for is that I leave them more secure when I start. Perfect. What a great way to finish the podcast. So where can, where can people connect with you? How can people find you? Uh, Grinder, Tinder, uh, Ashley Madison. Uh, yeah, pretty much most of the social sites. Yeah. Twitter's probably the best one, or LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't think that could have ended any better than that. It's been a pleasure, Christian. It really Thank has. you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe. And for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.